This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. And we start today, of course, in the Middle East, where America's top diplomat delivered an in-person message to the Israeli people who are grieving and wounded. He said the United States will never back down from its support of Israel. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is now on his way to meet with other U.S. allies in the region, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, UAE, Qatar, and Jordan. After standing side by side with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today, Secretary Blinken also met with families of Americans killed or taken hostage by Hamas, a group the U.S. has labeled terrorist. The White House says at least 27 Americans have been killed and at least 14 others remain missing. In its efforts to eliminate Hamas, which brutally attacked Israel last Saturday, the Israel Defense Forces are currently pounding Gaza with airstrikes today. Since Hamas embeds itself within the Palestinian population, this is tragically resulting in hundreds of innocent Palestinian casualties. More than 1,400 have been killed so far, civilian and Hamas, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. Israel has also cut off electricity, food, water, and fuel supplies to Gaza. Israeli officials say none of those supplies will be restored until all hostages being held by Hamas are returned home today. Independent Democratic Senator, I'm sorry, Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders said that such would be an international law violation. Today, we are also getting a horrific new look at the atrocities Hamas committed on Saturday. We want to warn you, some of the images you are about to see are graphic and incredibly disturbing. One of the images we're going to show you is so upsetting, I'm even going to give you a few moments warning so you can prepare yourself to look away. It will be a photo of the corpse of a baby, a baby murdered by Hamas. It's not clear where or when this innocent young human was killed, but it was Saturday, and it's one of the many children the terrorists killed in their rampage on Saturday, such as uh, in Kibbutz Be'eri, one of the first places Hamas reached after crossing into Israel. Videos verified by CNN show Hamas breaching a gate and entering on motorbikes. Just after uh, 7 a.m. on Saturday, a bloodbath followed. The kibbutz was mostly destroyed. More than 100 people slaughtered, most of them innocent civilians. The victims include eight-year-old Emily. She was having a sleeper with a friend. Her father waited two days before learning the awful news. His reaction to finding out she was dead tells you a lot about the depravities, the depravities of which Hamas is capable. They just said, we found Emily. Uh, she's dead. And I went, yes! I went, yes! And smiled. Because that is the best news of the possibilities that I knew. Another one of the victims, a French-Israeli soldier named Eli, who was killed fighting off Hamas. These are photos of his family and colleagues during his funeral earlier today in Jerusalem. Around the same time the invasion of Be'eri began, opened fire on a music festival underway here. Now, it's supposed to be an all-night dance party during the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. People came from all over the world for the party. But as dawn broke, gunfire began. Survivors say there was nowhere to hide in the empty field. Some jumped into passing cars. Others survived 
by hiding under bodies, bodies of individuals who had been killed by Hamas bullets and grenades. I saw so many things that I can't even explain. I saw guts. I had flesh all over my body. We had to bury ourselves under these dead corpses to protect ourselves from these from these grenades that were hitting and from the rifles and the RPG. An Israeli rescue service says it later found at least 260 dead bodies at the festival site. An unknown number of other attendees were taken hostage and have not been heard from since. It took the Israeli Defense Forces more than two days of intense fighting to clear Hamas out of Kfar Aza after the Saturday invasion. When the IDF could finally take stock of what the terrorist group left behind, there was frankly not much left. The IDF went house to house, collecting the dead in body bags. The soldiers say men, women, the elderly, children, all of them were brutally murdered. Actions, they said, were nothing short of a massacre. And that brings me back to the photo that I warned you about a few minutes ago of the baby killed by Hamas. Here's your last chance to look away, but I don't think you should look away. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu showed this photo to Secretary of State Antony Blinken today. It's one of the photos that the Israeli government is now sharing with the public so the world can see what Hamas did. They also shared two other photographs that are worse than that one, if you can believe it. We're not going to show you those photos. But we will continue to tell the stories of the innocent victims of this war. Let's bring in CNN's Aaron Burnett, who's live in Israel and co-hosting the show with me. Aaron, let's start with the scope of the humanitarian crisis, because we're talking about hundreds of civilians killed in Israel, hundreds now killed in Gaza, many others trapped without food, without water, power, all because of these brutal attacks by Hamas. I mean, Jake, it is an unbelievable tragedy. And as you speak, it, and it, it is in your voice and, and your heart, too. I know it is just a profound grief uh, that is here and also a rage. And it is affecting, uh, obviously, people in Israel, those innocent people who were killed and slaughtered, who were massacred. Uh, those are the those are the fair and right words to use. It's now also affecting people in Gaza. I mean, today, Jake, we were just a few miles from that border and it almost becomes a background noise, the thuds of explosions in Gaza. And on the other end there, of course, uh, people who are affected. And as you said, no food, no fuel, no electricity. Israel says that's going to continue until the hostages are returned. And, and obviously, we still have no word on those hostages at all. People desperately hoping against hope that they're still alive, they could get them back. Uh, that, that, but you hear that in the background. As we moved further south uh, along that border, Jake, of Gaza, and there's now, I would describe it as sort of a bit of a buffer zone that the IDF is, is creating where they're really massing up some of those troops. As you move south, you hear more and more artillery. You hear more and more uh, rocket back and forth. And, and, and you see that build up. And they are continuing, Jake, to flood the zone. And you see convoy after convoy. You see special forces, IDF groups going in, counterterror units we saw, all of them going in, the, that heavy machinery, the bulldozers, the tanks, the armed personnel carriers, all of that continuing uh, to move in. And you think about that, this mass and complete transformation uh, of the readiness and of this country, all because of these horrific acts uh, that we saw on Saturday morning. And that picture of that baby that, as you say, no human being can look at that and ever take it away from their eyes. Yeah, I mean, that's an image that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Um, there were some really emotional moments on the ground there. 
In Tel Aviv, uh, as Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with both Hamas attack survivors and family members of Americans who were either killed by Hamas or, or kidnapped. Yes, and, and those were obviously very emotional, emotional moments for the Secretary of State, very important. And I'll say, Jake, one thing, talking to anyone here, they make a very specific point of saying thank you to the United States. There is a great gratitude for what the United States is doing, in particular, uh, the, the supplies that are coming in related to that Iron Dome. I mean, that, uh, these Iron Domes are you know, fired up every, every few moments uh, in different places in this country, it feels like at this point. Uh, and that help from the United States is direly needed and appreciated. The support is appreciated by so many. But, but Jake, I will say the grief. It is unbelievable, the grief. And you know, we've been talking to people, I know you have as well, right, missing their children. Their, the, one father missing both of his daughters, a mother missing both of, of her daughters. And they are praying that they are going to come home. And then there are those who have lost, lost those that they love, lost friends. I, I, I saw a woman today right near where that festival happened. So we were basically right over the ridge. And um, so she just burst into tears talking about seeing her friend die. Or I talked to a former IDF general uh, who ran out with his pistol that morning into settlements and kibbutzes uh, with a group of men killing terrorists, said he saw uh, countless terrorists and was, was killing uh, members of Hamas. And he saw them, Jake, mother holding her baby, shot to death, saw someone beheaded. These were the things that were happening. And one important thing, Jake, as I hand it back to you, that he pointed out is some of those people who were coming over, who had breached that wall, were people who worked in those kibbutzes and settlements, people who knew the people who lived there, that some of these people did know where they were. They did know the people that they were so uh, they were able to so horribly slaughter. Aaron Burnett in Tel Aviv. Uh, we'll check back with you in a few minutes. Uh, the horrors inflicted on Israel over the weekend by Hamas resulted in a fierce retaliation by the Israeli Defense Forces almost immediately. Since Hamas embeds within the Palestinian population, that means, uh, tragically, hundreds of civilian casualties, both Israeli and Palestinian, as a result of what happened Saturday. The Israeli military buildup continues for an expected Israeli ground incursion into Gaza, and CNN's Clarissa Ward has been to a kibbutz that was attacked by Hamas on Saturday, and now Thursday is a staging ground for the Israeli military. Uh, Clarissa, tell us more about what you're seeing. Well, Jake, this was the kibbutz Be'eri, one of the scenes of some of the grossest atrocities that took place on Saturday. And I think it's sort of interesting on a symbolic level that the Israeli military has now taken it over and repurposed it. It is now a staging ground uh, for an artillery brigade. When we arrived there yesterday, we could see many soldiers, tanks. We heard outgoing artillery. Um, it's clearly a staging ground, as I said, but also for support, communications. I would note that the posture of the soldiers was relatively at ease. One didn't have the sense walking around uh, that uh, some kind of a ground offensive was imminent in the sort of coming hours, uh, but clearly, uh, the building up of forces along the Gaza envelope is fueling the expectation of uh, imminent ground offensive. And I think we're seeing that as well being borne out in terms of the incessant bombardment, which you and uh, Aaron have just referenced on Gaza. Today, the U.N. coming out saying that 2,500 housing units have been destroyed, 23,000 
have sustained uh, moderate to minor damage, and the rate of displacement has increased by more than 30% in the space of just 24 hours. They're talking about having hours left only in terms of fuel supplies. So the humanitarian situation in Gaza is rapidly approaching uh, an alarming level. And the question then becomes, how long can Israel wait before making its move? But can it make a move? before it has secured some kind of a humanitarian corridor. We heard Secretary of State Anthony Blinken talking about this again today, the importance of providing people who want to flee the violence, ordinary civilians, with a way out. So far, that has not been agreed upon. And as a result, we continue to see a growing intensity in terms of the desperation of the situation there and a growing anxiety on this side of the border as well as to when there may be some further movement, Jake. All right, Clarissa Ward, thank you so much. Stay safe. Let's go now to Meirav Lashem Gonan, whose daughter Romy was attending the Nova Music Festival where Hamas killed at least 260 people and took others hostage. Meirav, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. As of now, you don't know exactly what happened to your daughter. Um, but you no, were, I don't. You were on the phone with her at some point as this attack unfolded. T- tell us what she said. Tell us what you know. Yes. Well, we know uh, from half past six until two minutes to 11, 10.58, is that Romy was at the party. And uh, at uh, half past six, she called me and saying, Mommy, uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, missiles here. Uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to hide, where we can go. A lot of rockets uh, falling on us, and we don't know what to do. Um, she was uh, with her best friend, Gaia, and they were looking for a place to hide, but this, this is an open space. You don't have anywhere to hide. Uh, no shelters, no nothing. And um, they were trying to get to Gaia's car. It took them uh, about an hour to get to the car. And then they tried to leave with Gaia's car, but they couldn't because there were so many cars around and uh, the traffic was jammed. Uh, and later on, we, uh, we, we found out that uh, all the uh, terrorists uh, already uh, um, um, arrived to Israel and then started closing all the roads from uh, yeah. uh, north to, to the place of the party. And... Um, they finally went from the car and go to the bushes trying to hide, moving from bush to bush. And we all the time talked with her and we we heard the shooting all around them. And they are hiding kids with no no weapon, no nothing. Um, at some point, uh, um, b- just before 10 o'clock, a very good friend of Gaia came back. He was already out of this area, but he came back to take them, to rescue them. And he took, his name is Ben, Ben Shimoni, and he was taking another uh, boy with him, uh, Ophir Tzalfati. Uh, the four of them tried to leave the area. They they didn't get much, much further when I got a phone call from Omi at 10.15, crying, shouting, saying, Mommy, we were shot. They shoot the car. We cannot move. The car does not start. We cannot move. All of us are badly wounded. Uh, badly injured. Uh, Gaia is not talking to me. Uh, ben is not talking. Uh, Ophir and I are wounded. Ophir was telling me his name and gave me his mother's number so I can call her. 
And Romy was so afraid. She was saying, Mommy, I'm going to die. And I said, no, you're not going to die. You're coming back and we will find a way to take you out of there. And she was asking, Mommy, how can you take me out of here? Please come and take us. Please tell somebody, tell the army, tell the police, tell them to come. Uh, I tried to call the police. Uh, we tried to see how Air Force can, can maybe take a plane or, or a helicopter to, to try and rescue them. And there was nothing to do. I, was, I could only lie to her and tell her that we're doing everything. It's, it's not a lie. We try to do everything, but I right. knew we, couldn't, we cannot help them. Yeah. Is that, the last, is that the last time you heard from her? Yes, the the last thing I heard from them is 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 the shooting around them. We were talking uh, slightly. She was fading away, and we heard the shooting around them. And then uh, a lot of people talking in Arabic, shouting in Arabic. Somebody tried to start the the, the engine, but couldn't do it. And then somebody hanged the phone, and that's it. That's the last last thing I heard from my daughter. Has you were at the news conference this week asking the Israeli government for answers. Has, have, they, have they reached out? Have, have they told you anything? Uh, we just know that uh, Romy's cell phone uh, is in Gaza. That's, that's what we know and what, what the, the representative of the government knows. Uh, what we are focused in now is to, you know, to, to be united and, uh, and bring our kids back home and do all the necessary actions uh, to bring them back home. You said before, don't look away. That's what I'm asking, what we are asking yeah. from our government, for all, for, from the whole world, right. don't look away. Exactly, how old is Romy? Romy's 23, she's my third one. I have five kids, Romy's in the middle. She's the glue between the bigger uh, kids and the smaller, the younger one. She's wonderful. She's vivid. She's so alive. She's so wonderful. Everybody's falling in love with her. It's it's easy to fall in love with her. She's so wonderful. She's so she's such a good friend. She's such a good she's such a good person. She will never harm anybody. She is beautiful. May Rob Lashem go in and stay in touch. We'll keep telling me. Robert. Can I ask one thing, please? Yes. yes. Can Can I have one minute of, of asking something? Sure. We want to ask the whole world. We want to ask from the whole world to 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 come and help us because it's not just us. There are a lot of uh, American uh, inside Gaza. We need you with us to bring everybody back home. This is, as you said, a, a war crime, a, a crime against humanity. And we need the leaders. We need the leaders from Qatar that can push Hamas. They, we need the leaders from Turkey to, to push Hamas. We need all of us to, to fight this, uh, I don't know, evilness. I have no word for that. So we ask you to spread all the things that you, you just said. And I was so proud of, of, the, of the force that you give to us, the, the, the strength you give to us. And I just ask you, please continue to do that and please help us bring everybody home. We want them all home. May Rav Lashem go. Thank, thank you. you so much. And we'll, we'll stay in touch thank with you. you. And I want, with every fiber of my being, I want Romy home for you. M me too. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Coming up, a 25-year-old young woman from California, a 27-year-old young man who was a captain with Israel's military, 
The stories behind the American citizens killed by Hamas. That's coming up. Welcome back. Aaron Burnett is co-anchoring in Tel Aviv with me. Aaron. And, and Jake, as you know, the death toll for Americans uh, in these horrific terror attacks here in Israel has gone up. Uh, today, the White House confirming that that number has gone up to 27 Americans confirmed dead, Jake. And that still means 14 Americans are, are missing, still unaccounted for. People hoping uh, that, that their loved ones are going to be found alive. Uh, and we are learning the names and the stories of some of these people who so needlessly were killed on Saturday. Here's CNN's Erica Hill. Beaming smiles, everyday joy, now forever frozen in time. She's an amazing person. And each and every one that met her have loved her. She's done nothing wrong and nothing bad to anyone. Ayal Waldman's 25-year-old daughter, Danielle, was born in California. She and her boyfriend, Nome, recently moved into a new apartment. They adopted a dog and were building a life together. They went to a party to celebrate peace and love. Danielle and Noam never made it home from the Nova Music Festival. She told me in the last meeting that she and Noam have decided that they will get married. Unfortunately, we will bury them together. Arie Shlomo Ziering was a captain in the IDF's dog handling unit. The dual citizen spent his summers at camp in the U.S. His aunt, Debbie, describes Arie as a fun-loving, athletic kid who was passionate about protecting his country. Captain Ziering was 27. Egal Walk's ex-wife says he moved back to Israel two years ago to care for his mother. On Saturday, Hamas attacked the village where they lived. Egal and his brother were uh, part of the uh, security team, the patrol team in the, uh, in the, in the village. Egal and his brother Amit, both Israeli-Americans, were killed. My brother was uh, Yonatan, Johnny, everyone called him Johnny. Tamari is my sister-in-law. Uh, she was running for um, uh, the, the council of the area of a bunch of villages. Uh, she was such an um, uplifting, such quality human being. Renee Butler's brother Johnny and his young family, along with her mother, Carol Simintov, were murdered at the near Oz Kibbutz on Saturday. Great loss. Such a, a big, a beautiful tribe we had. Half of our family is gone. This is our life. This is our love. I had 14 nieces and nephews. I have uh, 11 now. A family shattered as countless more wait for word on their loved ones and wonder whether they will ever be whole again. Erica Hill, CNN, New York. It is just so impossible to comprehend the loss of these families and parents. Uh, Ayal Waldman, you saw him uh, in Erica's piece there. I spoke to him, Danielle Waldman's father, uh, the loss that he felt. He had found out that his daughter died two hours before we spoke, and I met him in his apartment here in Tel Aviv, a father who felt that he had to speak out, even though what he was suffering and realizing had happened in his life is so truly incomprehensible to all of us. We will be right back here on The Lead. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. 
So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. And you're looking uh, live over Gaza where it's nearing midnight. The dark sky is a reminder that Israel has stopped supplies of food, water, and fuel to Gaza until Hamas releases the hostages it took over the weekend. Two American lawmakers who just returned from Israel join me now, Republican Senator from Iowa, Joni Ernst, and Democratic Congressman from California, Jimmy Panetta. Uh, Senator Ernst, you met with Prime Minister Netanyahu on Tuesday. Uh, Israel uh, was clearly not prepared for that day and for several days after. Israelis are furious. Um, Do you sense that Israel uh, and the military are ready for what comes next, for this next major attack for getting their hostages back for everything following. Well, thank you, Jake. And here we stand as a bicameral, bipartisan delegation that visited Israel in those short days after the Hamas attacks. And the weight in the room when we met with Prime Minister Netanyahu was very heavy. Um, But I do believe that they are prepared for the upcoming weeks, months, whatever it takes for them to uh, work out uh, the deals with hostages as well as make sure that they are destroying Hamas. So again, it was a very heavy, very somber meeting that we had with the prime minister. Our hearts go out to those that have been affected uh, through these horrible terrorist attacks, Um, but we stand unified in solidarity with Israel. Congressman Panetta, the original purpose of your trip was to discuss potential peace agreements in the Middle East. Um, Then the attack happened, the terrorist attack on Saturday. You and the rest of the delegation there quickly had to shift focus. Um, What what are you sharing with fellow House members upon your return? Uh, Peace certainly seems elusive now. Yeah, it was funny. We started this trip going into the Middle East to talk about peace. Unfortunately, we left the region talking about war. And it kind of makes you think, is that kind of the long story of the Middle East? And we're trying to do everything we can to change that narrative. Uh, And that's why we wanted to go there, to have those discussions. And I can tell you, prior to this happening, being on the ground in Saudi Arabia, it was very, very positive, our discussions with leadership there. However, once this invasion, this bloodthirsty attack happened, um, obviously the discussions changed. But I can tell you what I found positive to me was when we got to Israel and had the conversations about the events, they talked about what I think is very important in this position, and that's relationships. And they talked about the personal calls that they had been receiving from Arab leaders in the region about the event. So the fact that they're having those types of discussions gives me hope that, yes, there may be a pause on the normalization process now, I do believe that we'll be able to continue and make sure that it gets done subsequently. But Senator Ernst, I mean, calls from Arab leaders are nice, but, you know, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, they need to step up to the table and be part of the solution, right? I mean, if there's going to be some sort of life 
and, and country and human rights for the Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank, they need to be part of the solution. And with respect, I'm not sure that they have been as much as they could. Well, absolutely, Jake. And that's one thing that our delegation stressed as we met with each of the Arab nations and their leadership was that we would hope for a more forceful response from their leadership against these violent acts of terrorism against innocent Israeli women, children, elderly. Um, we have not seen that yet. We did see UAE revise their statement a bit, become more forceful. But what we should be doing is focusing on Iran as well. We know that 93% of the funding that uh, is used by Hamas in these terrorist attacks comes directly from Iran. So we need to be serious about Iran and uh, its terrorist proxies and make sure we call out Hamas uh, for the terrorist actions that they are taking against innocent civilians in Israel. So, yes, we need to force them to step up to the plate. They need to be engaged and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Republican Senator Joni Ernst and Democratic Congressman Jimmy Panetta, thanks to both you. Appreciate it and welcome home. We want to continue to bring uh, the personal stories of the war in Israel next to mother desperate for any word, any word about her missing son. New images into CNN show whole blocks in Gaza reduced to rubble as Israel continues its retaliatory strikes for the brutal attacks by Hamas. And somewhere in Gaza right now are people who were taken from Israel as hostages by Hamas. So many families searching for answers about what exactly happened to their loved ones seized by Hamas during the terrorist attack on Saturday. With me now is one of those individuals, Natalia Ben-Svi, who has not heard from her son, Sagiv, who's 24, since she spoke to him on Saturday as he was leaving that music festival attacked by Hamas. Natalia, I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Uh, it's unimaginable. We're showing pictures of your handsome son right now. It sounds like he was already on his way home when you first talked to him before uh, the nightmare scenario began. Walk, walk us through the timeline of what you know. I spoke I spoke to him on uh, after the first uh, uh, alarms went off in Israel all around and uh, I told him please be careful uh open the windows and listen if there is a tsevadon like in a, a short time um, alarm around the uh, the place he was in so I asked for him to open the windows and drive carefully. And if he needs to put the car and uh, protect his head or whatever we need to do in situations like, like this. Yeah. And 10 minutes after that, we lost contact. Um, we started worrying. I called the police immediately. Um, we didn't know yet that th there was an uh, invasion into Israel and uh, atrocities uh, started. We thought that it's only uh, alarms and uh, yeah, we are used to it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then after calling him and his friend Ronnie Petrovsky, that was, they were together, they celebrated and danced. It's loving and wonderful festival with uh, 
people from not only from Israel, not only Jews, um, people who love each other. Uh, he he was that kind of boy. He he liked people. He was a people boy. Uh, he he is. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, don't don't use the past tense. He, you say his yeah. his phone um, was located in Gaza. Um, have you heard from the Israeli yeah, government at all? Um, Has anyone been in touch with you to provide any information? No information was provided. We provided the information. We gave them all the information, the pings and uh, approaching Gaza and in Gaza. And uh, I think they're still checking. It's a chaos. Like, uh, I know you saw the pictures. I know you saw what's going on. It's it's devastating. I, I cannot even, you know, it's hard for us as a people to understand how this evil can occur. Like, what is it? Is it a satanic evil? What is it? What happened here? Uh, um, and I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm trying to be very... Uh, I'm putting my emotions inside a, a drawer right now. I'm trying to do everything I can do for my son to locate him and bring him safe home. Yeah. Uh, not for him, for all the kids and for all the families that are in the same position as I am. Um, and uh, we told them, but nothing still, they're checking. I know they're checking. They're doing the best. We, I didn't think, I do think that they're trying, but this is overwhelming. I have to say, I don't like, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for the Israeli people, but I've heard and seen a lot of anger from Israelis at your government, not only for the intelligence failure and not only for the delay in the reaction from the IDF. I guess a lot of forces were uh, on the West Bank, um, but also just the inadequate response in terms of the, the hostages. And I mean, you should have heard. From the government by now, there should be more of an outreach to people like you. And I just talked to another woman named Meirav, whose daughter um, also, also, it seems, was probably taken hostage. Her phone was located in Gaza. It, again, I, I, I assume and I hope that they're doing everything they can, but it, it must be frustrating. Uh, yeah, it is frustrating, but uh, I think that... The first goal has to be to understand what is happening, who is where, and very fast. The second goal will be, after everything will be over, to, to investigate what happened. Yeah. It's not the time to, this is not a time to start yelling or, uh, or, we know that something bad happened. No, I know, it's but like, I just mean like you know, they, they should be reaching out to you and giving you answers and, and help. I think, and I think that, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. They're trying to, do, to build up the, um, the system right now because right. Yeah. they couldn't. They just could. Uh, they didn't think that th thing like this, this can happen. Yeah. I hear you. So uh, I hope I hope they are like 
picking the pieces up and uh, we'll, uh, what's the word, what's the word? Um, uh, they, they will do everything they can from now on. I hope so, really. Yeah. I hope so, because uh, I hope so too. it's Natalia. lives, it's people. Yeah, Natalia Benzvi, stay in touch with I us. I have to state one thing, please, yes. Yes. please, please. Say it. Go ahead. It's the Gibbs dad is an American citizen, and uh, and he's doing everything he can uh, with the State Department and uh, Senator uh, the Senator of New York to to put Sagiv on the list on the American list. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we will appreciate any help from you and from every anyone who can. Uh, because we heard the, what Hamas said, and I'm, I'm afraid. I'm really afraid. Natalia Benzvi, thank you so much. Stay in touch with our team. We want Sagif back for you. We want him back for you. Thank you so much, Jack. The attacks by Hamas have led to an uproar on several college campuses, and now some of the students are getting called out over their inappropriate celebration of the death of innocent civilians. We're going to go head live to one protest. Stay with us. Some are protesting the atrocities committed by Hamas. Uh, some are advocating for Palestinian rights. Some are crossing the line from advocating for Palestinian rights into gleefully rooting for atrocities against Jewish civilians. CNN's Nick Watt is on the campus of UCLA as some students feel the existing undercurrents of anti-Semitism on college campuses rising to the surface. A so-called day of resistance on campuses across the country called by National Students for Justice in Palestine, which hails the Hamas terror attacks as a historic win for the Palestinian resistance across land, air and sea. That's the justification of the murder of Jews, as we've seen throughout history, under a different name. At San Diego State, one pro-Palestinian protester said this. We're not for any lives lost, no matter what, Palestinian or Israeli. We found that 57% of Jewish students in the U.S. have experienced or seen anti-Semitism. That was before this occurred. Now we're seeing the levels rise, the incidents rise, the complaints rise. At Harvard, a statement released within hours of the attacks begins, we, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. Some have recanted after a backlash that included a billionaire hedge fund boss asking Harvard to name members of the groups that signed, so none of us inadvertently hire them. Last night, their names and faces emblazoned on a truck in Harvard Square by a conservative organization. Such intimidation is counterproductive, said Harvard Hillel, a Jewish student group. The conversation about what is and isn't productive discourse is something that we're seeing really taking shape. A major UPenn benefactor has called on other alums to close the checkbooks after what he said was college leaders' apparent failure to condemn the views of some speakers at a recent Palestinian literary festival on campus. Even after the Hamas attacks, college officials have condemned anti-Semitism. <laughs> Los Angeles Tuesday, a pro-Israel rally just a stone's throw from the UCLA campus. The Cultural Affairs Commission of UCLA, a student group, posted Monday, we honor the Palestinians on the front lines, taking their land and sovereignty back. 
They say this is not anti-Semitism. Judaism is separate from the political movement of Zionism. These are UCLA organizations, and they have the permission to say these things. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, you're holding an Israeli flag. Is that something you'd be okay doing on campus? Oftentimes on campus, I feel scared to hold a flag if I'm not with a big group. There's a lot of anti-Semitism on campus, and it's always felt at all times. We are now on the UCLA campus where a pro-Palestinian rally is about to begin. Listen, Jake, this tension is only going to get worse over what happened and what will happen in the Middle East and over where that line is between standing up for Palestinian human rights and glorifying murder. Jake. Nick Watt, thank you so much. Another live look over Gaza tonight. We've seen more blasts and at times smoke billowing, more evidence of this war raging on. We're going to go back live to our teams on the ground in the region. That's next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Thousands of American citizens could soon be on their way out of Israel. The Biden administration now arranging charter flights in the midst of a war zone as fighting between Israel and Hamas continues to escalate. The urgency for a safe exit is underscored by a rising American death toll. 27 Americans killed by Hamas, according to the White House. More than 1,200 in total have been killed in Israel. And in Gaza, where Hamas embeds with the civilian population, Israeli airstrikes are constant, and hundreds of innocents are feeling the punishment. Israeli Energy Ministry today announcing that Gaza will have no power, no water, no fuel until Hamas agrees to release the hostages it took over the weekend. Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, today called that a violation of international law. The latest war prompted by Hamas terrorism Saturday, unspeakable attacks killing hundreds of Israeli, most of them civilians, babies, grandparents, children, young people at a music festival. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken saw the aftermath of much of the devastation in Israel for himself today, and he summed it up in one word, overwhelming. He met with families of Americans killed and taken hostage by Hamas. Next, he's gonna visit multiple countries in the region, all in an effort to try to secure the release of people still being held by Hamas as hostages. At least 14 Americans remain unaccounted for. Secretary Blinken pledging full U.S. support for Israel after the devastating attack by Hamas, a group that he compares to ISIS. One photograph, which was shown to Blinken by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, clearly explains that comparison. We're going to show it to you in just a moment. I want to warn you that it's incredibly graphic. I'm giving you this warning now so that you can choose to look away. The photograph is a baby, a baby whose body is stained with blood, a baby murdered by Hamas, a baby, according to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I know it's difficult to see, 
but I want you to consider not looking away. Secretary Blinken said this image might be worth a million words. It's some way, it's, it's an impossible to find any words. CNN's Aaron Burnett is in Tel Aviv. And Aaron, as you travel around Israel, what are you hearing from the civilians, the innocent men and women and children stuck in the middle of this war? Jake, in many ways, it does uh, remind me of those horrific and unspeakable days after 9-11 here, that there is just this, this hole in people's heart, a grief. Uh, they greet each other with a sigh. The world has changed. Uh, there's not much traffic on the road. Uh, plenty of stores are closed. Not all of them, of course. Uh, but but it, it, it is a palpable shift. It is a change. It is a, a nation in shock and grief. And there is no question about that. I mean, today, uh, along a checkpoint near the Gaza border, uh, Jake, we were actually stopped because there was a small arms fire, you know, an operation going on between militants and IDF on the other side. So we were waiting. And as we were waiting there, listening to the artillery in the distance, where that festival was, was a few miles away. We ran into a young woman who had been a bartender at the festival. She'd run, uh, fled 10 kilometers. Uh, she survived. One of her friends were killed. And I, I asked her, what is the one thing you want the world to know? As, of course, she's still crying. As, as everyone is when they begin to tell their story, uh, who touched this in any way. She said, I just want them to know, the, the world to know that, that these are terrorists and it's a horrible thing. And her father was there with her, Jake, because they had been bringing food to give some of the IDF special forces who were coming through this checkpoint. And he said, and, 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 and jumped in with his daughter, he said, no, they're devil's sons, devil's sons. And I think that sort of captures it, Jake, just that there is a rage and there is an anger. There is a feeling here that what happened was inhuman and you can't respond to it with humanity. You hear that, of course, from Prime Minister Netanyahu, but you also hear it from citizens, just this deep, deep frustration. A general here with the IDF, he'd been a, a general for, for many decades. He told me today that what he saw when he went through settlement after settlement on Saturday, uh, he has his pistol and a group of, of, of men and they were fighting uh, Hamas militants in these settlements. He said he had never seen anything in his entire life. He's seen bodies dead in war. He's seen bodies desecrated. He has never seen anything like he saw that day. And uh, this person, former general of the IDF, uh, was, was crying. And I think that that is how it is. And that is how they feel. And right now, it's safe to say, just like when you were silent looking at that picture of the baby, there are not really words to describe yet how people are truly going to react to this as these days go by. Horrible things happen in war, and innocent people tragically are killed in war. The willful slaughter of innocents targeted at close range like this is something yes. that is really... Uh, I, I, don't, I do not have the words. Aaron Burnett in Tel Aviv, thank you so much. Uh, while the back and forth, Hamas rocket fire and Israeli air and artillery strikes continue, Israel's buildup for an expected ground incursion into Gaza continues. CNN's Nick Robertson is live for us in Stiro to Israel. Nick, what, what are you seeing happening right now around what will be, uh, no doubt, front lines? 
Yeah, I think, you know, what Aaron is talking about, that, that sense of anger, that hole, that sense of loss, that sense of bitterness, the, the dumbfounded shock that, that such barbarity could happen to people, I think it's beginning, the response to that is beginning to take shape in the form of the IDF and in the form of their increased readiness here along the border. We've been hearing a lot more outgoing artillery shells uh, today and we went to one of the locations where the IDF had literally just dug in in the past 24 hours. Um, a whole array of these very heavy howitzer guns and we're beginning to send shells into Gaza. Israel's newly emerging front line in the war with Hamas. Heavy howitzers just dug in, firing on the terror group a few miles away in Gaza. Part of Israel's massive military buildup since Hamas's attacks Saturday. Many of the 300,000 reservists called up already deployed ahead of a highly anticipated ground offensive into Gaza. These are exactly the same gun positions the Israeli Defense Forces used in their last major confrontation with the Hamas back in 2021. The question now, will this confrontation be different? Will Israel actually be able to crush Hamas, as the Prime Minister says he wants to do? Military offensives have beaten them before and won't be easy now. The Palestinian death toll and unintended consequence of Israeli shelling and missile strikes is climbing. Thursday, staunch ally the US cautioning care. The Prime Minister and I discussed how Israel does this matters. We democracies distinguish ourselves from terrorists by striving for a different standard, even when it's difficult. And it will be difficult. Israel is still reeling from the deadliest, most barbaric attack on its citizens since the state was founded. Anger at Hamas is high, so too pressure on the Prime Minister to act decisively. He's calling for more international support as he plans his offensive. Hamas should be treated exactly the way ISIS was treated. They should be spit out from the community of nations. No leader should meet them. No country should harbor them. And those that do should be sanctioned. In the meantime, Hamas is still getting into Israel. This gun battle with them late Wednesday. There were multiple incursions by Hamas terrorists yesterday. I drove right through Stair Road during the time when three terrorists were out. Again, looking for civilians to kill. The tempo of fire here, far higher than in 2021. A drumbeat that seems to signal a ground offensive, all but inevitable. Even so, its outcome, far from certain. And this is what essentially faces those troops right now, firing the howitzers. We're hearing them landing in Gaza at the moment. The, the thumps are, are, are huge and heavy. Uh, no doubt there's good battle damage assessment of, of, of the impact that they're having. 
how they're shaping the ground uh, for the offensive, how successful that will be, what the offensive will be, what the objectives of that offensive will be. These are the sorts of questions that, that the troops that are arriving at the border right now have in their minds. They want to know what the mission's going to be. They want to know how their commanders are going to be asking them to execute it. But everyone has that passion that Aaron was talking about inside them. This was something that was done to them, and there needs to be a response, and it needs to be within that humane framework, as uh, Secretary Blinken said. Nick Robertson, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Drone video taken today shows uh, parts of Gaza City as it smolders in ruins after being hammered by Israeli airstrikes. The Palestinian Ministry of Health says that more than 1,500 people have been killed in Gaza since the airstrikes began. 500 of those killed are believed to be children. A warning now, but some of the images you're about to see in our next report are graphic and heartbreaking, including one of a baby girl who was rushed through the streets to a waiting ambulance by her uncle, but ultimately did not make it. The stories and images are gut-wrenching, but important to hear and important to see. Here's CNN's Nada Bashir. Gripped by grief and loss of unfathomable scale. Gaza's death toll and the number of civilians wounded is rising with each and every airstrike. In the El Shate refugee camp, men dig with their bare hands, desperate to rescue loved ones from beneath the rubble of what once were their homes. Yes, sir. Saad begins to list the names of the children killed in this latest strike. Among them, his niece. She was just a few months old. Now she is one of more than 440 children Gaza's health ministry says has been killed by Israeli airstrikes so far. Israel says it is striking Hamas targets. But authorities here say medical facilities, schools and residential areas have been impacted. Our neighbours said that the Israelis had called and told them to evacuate the area around our home. So we came to stay with relatives here in al Shate, Nabil says. But the next morning, when we woke up to pray at dawn, the airstrike happened. There was no warning. The densely populated Gaza Strip which has been under an Israeli land, sea and air blockade since 2007, is home to more than 2 million people. Around 47% of them are children. So far, at least 340,000 people have been displaced within Gaza. Many are now forced to take shelter in UN-run schools like this one. But civilians here are also now facing what the Israeli government has described as a complete siege on Gaza. There's no water for us to drink, no water for us to wash ourselves with so that we can pray, Maram says. They've bombed our schools, many people have been killed. It's not fair for children like us. Why is this happening to us? Life under a blockade is all that the children of Gaza have ever known. For some, like 13-year-old Nadine, it is hard to imagine a future beyond this relentless conflict. The last couple of nights have been the worst couple of nights I've ever lived in my life. And this is not living. This is existing. We're not, we're not planning our futures anymore. We're just trying to survive. But survival in Gaza is becoming more and more difficult by the day. The humanitarian situation is rapidly deteriorating. 
And while the UN has condemned what it has described as Israel's unlawful blockade on Gaza and the indiscriminate nature of Israel's airstrikes, there is little hope that the bloodshed will end here. Neda Bashir, CNN. Neda Bashir, thank you so much. As you've just seen, Israel has ordered a, quote, complete siege of Gaza. But what's the plan if Israel succeeds in that dismantling plan? We'll talk about that next. Palestinian officials in Gaza say more than 1,500 people have been killed in Gaza since Saturday uh, in retaliation for the terrorist attack by Hamas. Many of those 1,500 are Hamas terrorists, but hundreds of others were innocent civilians as Hamas continues to embed among them. And now Israel has ordered a, quote, complete siege of the area in response to Hamas's barbaric terrorism. As a result, the 2.3 million residents of Gaza are right now cut off by Israel from food, from fuel, from electricity. Half of the 2.3 million are children, according to the United Nations. Resources in the densely populated 25-mile strip of land along the Mediterranean have been largely controlled by Israel and Egypt to a degree for the last 16 years. Israel occupied Gaza for decades, since 1967, then withdrew in 2005. The Israeli blockade came after Hamas, which both the U.S. and EU consider a terrorist group, was elected to control Gaza in 2007. Since Hamas took over, there have been no elections in Gaza. Rival factions have been eliminated. Today, nearly 80% of Gazans live in abject poverty, according to the UN, and aid groups warn it's about to get a lot worse. So how can Israel control Gaza's infrastructure? Well, look at this map. First, there's the fence, a 37-mile-long concrete barrier covered in barbed wire and protected by watchtowers. Just inside, there's another 1,000 feet of land only by farmers. There are only two crossings for people to get in and out, one on the northern side, one on the Egyptian side, and a third crossing just for goods. Then there is only one power plant. That can only generate 16% of Gaza's electricity. The rest comes from Israel until now, until after the terrorist attack on Saturday. Joining us now, CNN National Security Analyst and former Deputy Director of National Intelligence, Beth Sanner. Um, so, first of all, Israel, I mean, I think the Western world would agree that Israel has a right, if not an obligation, to get rid of Hamas after what they did Saturday. But is that what they're doing? I mean, is, do they have a plan to get rid of Hamas? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they know I, where they all are. I don't know. Well, I think that the problem is, is that it is incredibly hard to separate out, you know, what you're bombing. Um, Gaza is a place that's just filled with tunnels, right? So, and they and Hamas puts their operation centers, their command centers, places where they hide munitions under public buildings, under you know mosques. And so, you know, as we're seeing this destruction, because the only instrument that the Israelis have right now is this very blunt instrument of just bombing, they are taking out buildings where you know, civilians live or they're taking out buildings next to them. And right now, I mean, I think I, I read a little while ago that 450 children have been killed in Gaza. And those are innocent people. And, you know, most of people who live in Gaza do not support um, Hamas and their tactics. They don't. There's, there's polling on this. There's polling on that. Um, 
you know, about half of them polled in August said that Hamas should stop supporting this idea of the destruction of Israel. That's in their charter. I mean, that's what they stand for. Exactly. And so half the people say no. And 70% of the people there polled, and I think this would tend to go the other way. I think people would lie the other direction. So 70% said, you know, we like this proposal of the idea of the Palestinian Authority coming in with officials and security people to take over, and Hamas should stop having these separate armed groups. So I find that very interesting because, you know, the PA is not popular. It's not about them wanting the PA. It's that they have no other other option, and the kind of life under Hamas is just horrible. So so let's assume that Israel... And I don't even know how you figure this out, but let's assume that they have they, they bomb and then there's some sort of gr- gr- um, ground incursion, ground yeah. incursion mm-hmm. and they think that, OK, we have gotten the leadership of Hamas. Let's say that there's yeah, yeah. 100 top leaders and they've, they've killed them all or they've escaped or whatever. Then what? I mean, they got out yeah. of occupying Gaza because it was so awful to occupy it in 2005. Right. And they, you know, there was two years where they were not blockading it. Um, yeah. What then? I think that this is exactly why we haven't seen the ground incursion yet, um, because it's just incredibly complicated. I don't think that Israel has the capacity to go in and kill all the fighters. Just killing the leadership is not going to solve the problem. I think we just saw you have an interview with someone that said that, you know, there's still terrorists going over the line and and conducting operations inside Israel. So you've got to kill much more than the leadership. And right now, Israel's saying, we're not just killing the militant wing. We're going to kill the whole governing and political apparatus, too. So that is a lot of people. And there is no way you can go into this densely populated area and occupy it, uh, being the hostile force that Israel is. I mean, think what they're doing right now. Think about the picture of the father coming down the street with his baby in his hands. They're not going to be welcoming Israel, even though it's so awful what happened to the Israelis. Obviously. I mean, so... I've been asking since Saturday, literally since Saturday, what about the innocent um, Palestinians? Can they get out? Yeah. Right. The, the women, the children, right. the, the elderly. How can they get out? That still has not been figured out. No. Egypt does not want to open the Rafah crossing. They're refusing to. They, they don't. Right. Egypt, Jordan. I mean, Qatar, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, all these countries that prepare that about how much they care about Palestinians. They could help right now. They could help the Palestinians escape. They could help. They could say, "Okay, stop bombing, and we will go in there, and we will, yeah. we will, we will help Gaza like become a thriving society." They they could do all sorts of things. They have money, by the way. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, but where I, are they? Where are they? Is where they usually are, which is you know generally on the sidelines and and pretty um, myopically thinking about themselves. Plus. You know, they would all like Hamas to go away. Yeah, they don't like Hamas. They do not like but Hamas. I, I, the, Palestinian are, the Palestinians, they don't really care about the Palestinians, do they? They really don't. And I think that, you know, um, the polling also shows that the popularity of Hamas in these countries, in Saudi and in UAE, um, is not high. So there's not a lot of pressure on Saudi to come to the rescue of the Palestinians like there was a decade ago. 
So things are definitely changing, uh, but we're not seeing a lot of people step up to the to the occasion other than the United States. I didn't think I could be any more depressed. I'm and sorry. then I talked and then I talked about Sander. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate <laughs> it. Former President Trump weighed in on the war in Israel. Spoiler alert, what he said. Stirred up a bit of controversy, and we'll tell you why next. Never forget, Donald Trump said Wednesday night. Never forget. But Mr. Trump was not invoking the Holocaust a few days after the deadliest day for the Jewish people since that horror. No, Donald Trump was saying, quote, I will never forget in a riff where he was trashing Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying that Netanyahu, quote, let us down, unquote, reportedly for not participating in the strike against an Iranian general. But of course, you really should recall how upset Trump was that Netanyahu was the first world leader to congratulate President Biden after Biden won the presidency. CNN's Jamie Gengel joins us. Jamie, l- let me play some of Mr. Trump's uh, remarks Wednesday night. I'll never forget that B.B. Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. I will say that. When I see uh, sometimes uh, the intelligence, you talk about the intelligence or you talk about some of the things that went wrong over the last week, uh, they've got to straighten it out because they're fighting potentially a very big force. And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. So Hezbollah is very smart, attacking Netanyahu. He called the defense minister of Israel a jerk. I mean... Look, this is classic Donald Trump, and it's really about petty grievances. What do we know about Donald Trump? Loyalty is a one-way street. And, And I would say that this was not about Soleimani. This is about one thing which you mentioned, which is, oh my goodness, Benjamin Netanyahu picked up the phone and congratulated Joe Biden when he won the election, which, to Donald Trump's mind, is the worst possible thing you could do. Trump's comments are drawing some criticism. Liz Cheney uh, tweeted, after Hamas slaughters hundreds of Jewish families and Israel confronts an unprecedented security crisis, Donald Trump attacks the Israeli government and praises Hezbollah terrorists. Are Republicans really going to nominate this dangerous man to be president of the United States. And here is what Governor Ron DeSantis told reporters. Now's not the time to be doing like what Donald Trump did by attacking Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, uh, attacking Israel's defense minister, uh, saying somehow that Hezbollah were were very smart. Uh, We need to all be on the same page. Uh, Now's not the time to air personal grievances about an Israeli prime minister. I mean, Donald Trump disagrees. He thinks it is the time for personal grievances. Um, Do you think Republican, I I am, you know, I'm not even going to ask. Should I ask? Go ahead, yes. Will this make a difference with Republican voters? I should, like, honestly, every time I ask that question, somebody should find me $100. I'm going to answer it slightly differently from the way we used to. First of all, we don't know yet. Secondly, Trump's base seems to be willing to stick with him through thick, through thin, through 91 indictments. So why should this change anything except there are Trump supporters, Christian evangelicals, Jews, supporters of Israel who may not like this. 
Uh, Mike Pence, who was picked because of his, uh, you know, background with Christian evangelicals. Mike Pence of Hang Mike Pence fame? Yes. Said today, Hezbollah aren't smart. They are evil. So he even pushed back on this. I think it's unlikely to change many Trump voters, but maybe some. Let's switch now, if we could, to the embarrassing dysfunction on Capitol Hill. It is really, truly embarrassing. House Republicans, there needs to be a Speaker of the House for us to have a functioning legislative branch of government, and yet they cannot get together and and pick a Speaker. Here's what one Republican said coming out of today's closed-door meeting. We're still, House Republicans cannot pick a Speaker. When you only have a four-seat majority and you have some of the personalities and some of the... It's hard to govern this. It's an impossible job. Impossible. Mm -hmm. One of the members said in there, you know, I don't think the Lord Jesus himself could get 217. You know, it's not impossible. Nancy Pelosi with the same majority got got 217. Right. And and Republican sources that I'm talking to who want to get a speaker keep saying that this is just embarrassing when the world is on fire, that the people's house is not uh, getting able to do their job. I think job. empirically it's embarrassing. I, I mean, like, I, I don't even think it's an opinion at this point. There needs to be a, it's never happened before. Correct. Sorry, I Correct. Now, look, our Hill team is doing an extraordinary job interviewing Republicans as they come out of these meetings. My sources say, and our numbers bear it out, the numbers against Steve Scalise are going up. By the hour, it looks less likely he's going to get to 217. And I spoke to two Republicans. One said, I do not think we are close to a floor vote unless Scalise wants a losing vote. And another one blamed Kevin McCarthy. They think that Kevin McCarthy, a number of Republicans, is working behind the scenes. If he can't be speaker, he sort of doesn't want Steve Scalise. Kevin McCarthy, who said, bring it on? Yes. That Kevin McCarthy? The quote was, McCarthy is in misery loves company mode. Oh, that's nice of him. That's nice of him to be in that mode. Well, he's got a lot of company. Jamie Gangel, always great to have you. A major move today in Tel Aviv might be a sign that the humanitarian crisis in Israel is about to get worse. And we're back with our world lead today. A hospital in Tel Aviv moved four floors worth of patients and more than 300 beds to an underground parking garage in case of a missile strike. Erin Burnett is back with us from Tel Aviv. She was at a hospital in Ashkelon earlier, which was hit by rocket fire yesterday. Erin, what is the situation on the ground like right now in Tel Aviv? Yeah, so when you, you know, there was a, a warning today about long range missiles, uh, which obviously would, would be something that would be, be, be seen here, Jake, as you know, as a threat to Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. Uh, we actually were south along the Gaza border when that came in. Uh, but you've got these, these, you know, constant rocket attacks uh, coming in on various uh, southern towns and cities. And, you know, you talk about the impact on the hospitals. I mean, even here on the Israeli side, what they did in Tel Aviv, in Ashkelon, where we were, uh, you know, yesterday we were sort of caught in the midst of a, of a massive rocket strike. I mean, there were dozens of them, dozens upon dozens coming in. Some of them got through. And some of them got through to the city of Ashkelon near that Gaza border where we were. We went and found where one of the strikes was, an apartment building, and another was at this hospital. 
uh, and the hospital had been hit. Now, the hospital is still functioning, obviously. It is still a crucial place for people to go to. 70 people went to the hospital where I was today, just yesterday, from those strikes uh, near Ashkelon along the Gaza border. So the Iron Dome, as successful as it is, you still had 70 injuries just yesterday. They had 650 people come to that hospital in Ashkelon, Jake, from the attacks on Saturday. And uh, more than two dozen of them are still there. But this is what it is when you're standing in front of a door, emergency room and trauma. That is exactly uh, what is happening. And that's just on the Israeli side because we're standing by that hospital today, Jake, and it's just a few miles from Gaza. And you hear the thud, thud, thud of the Israeli strikes on Gaza. And you can't help but just for a moment pause and say, as you hear it in the background, there are people being injured there. There are people being killed there. And the hospital situation there, obviously, is incredibly dire. Yeah, we were just talking to the former deputy director of national intelligence who was talking about how Hamas embeds itself within the civilian population in Gaza. So when the Israelis go after with whatever precision you believe they're using, and I'm sure there are skeptics out there, go go after Hamas... regardless of their precision, they're getting a lot of civilians, innocent civilians, uh, Palestinians are getting caught in the middle of it. More than two million people live in Gaza. Um, They're running out of fuel. They're running out of uh, water. Uh, The fuel powers the hospitals. The Red Cross is warning that the hospitals in Gaza could turn into morgues without electricity. Mm -hmm. Yes, and they're making those warnings, Jake, and they've run out of beds. And, you know, someone we were talking to in Gaza was saying, even with the generator, even places that actually have generators, right, generators also need fuel. So if you're saying, as Israel has, no food, no fuel, no electricity until the hostages are released, then that means you're days away from anything that's even powered by a generator, such as hospitals, essential health facilities, actually even having the ability to power themselves. I mean, it's an incredibly dire situation. I was talking to an American pediatrician who's actually in Gaza, and Jake, she went in uh, before the strikes, stuck there now like many others. We haven't talked to her now in a few hours, so it's possible something's changed, but she had been stuck and absolutely unable to get out. Talking about the dire situation, and she's someone who goes in in, in ordinary circumstances in Gaza to help children as a pediatrician because of the chronic and horrible diseases that they face there, the lack of vaccines, chronic diabetes, and, and none of those things are happening, never mind the very dire and serious needs of people who've been very seriously injured. In two days, it'll be a, a week uh, since the attacks. Um, what is life like now, five days after the attacks for Israelis? Well, it's still a pause. It's still a sense of that deep shock where things have not restarted. Uh, There is, of course, that waiting, that palpable waiting for what's going to happen along the Gaza border, what Israel will do in response. But also, Jake, talking to people uh, who who, it's it's funerals. It's funerals. They're going to funerals. Someone from a festival, she her friend died. She went to her friend's funeral. She went to two funerals yesterday. They're going to funeral after funeral. And that is what you're hearing people say. Sitting Shiva, I walked in someone's apartment last night whose daughter, he just found out his daughter died. His daughter was American. A few hours after he finds out she's dead. And there he is, starting to sit Shiva, his family arriving. It is just a sense of a mass sense of loss. Aaron Burnett in Tel Aviv, thank you so much. So many of you watching, I'm sure, feel compelled to want to help with humanitarian relief efforts, whether for the Israelis or for the Palestinians, or maybe some of you, Want to help both? CNN is compiling resources. Head to cnn.com slash impact. You'll find a list of vetted organizations on the ground responding. That's cnn.com slash impact. We're back in a moment.
Roe Weiser was an Israeli-American soldier. He was just 21 years old. His life was cut short on Saturday when his base was attacked by Hamas. He was killed trying to protect his fellow soldiers. His mother, Naomi Weiser, and his sister, Shani Weiser, join me now. Thank you, both of you, for being here under these awful um, circumstances. Uh, Naomi, your son, uh, Roe, was a hero, and, and you say he died the way he lived Tell us, tell us about him. Tell us about the way he lived. Absolutely. Um, Roy was a great kid. You know, one of the things we always said about him is he always walked around with a smile on his face. He loved to play sport. He was a big football, American football and uh, basketball and soccer fan. Um, He had amazing group of friends. Um, all about great kid. He was always an out-of-the-box thinker. Always showed signs of leadership. We always knew he would do something great. Not what we expected, but we always knew he would do something great. He always took care. He had a way of always taking care of the weaker kids in his class. Mm. These are stories the mothers have been sending me this week. We remember your son from the third grade. When our son was having a hard time, your son took care of him. So he always had that putting the other kids first kind of skill and taking care of the week. Again, these are skills he showed us again this week, unfortunately, not the way we wanted to see them. And Shani, you can jump in anytime you want. Um, what have you learned about uh, Roe's bravery? Um, I, I understand he saved uh, at least a dozen lives. I mean, we knew he was brave. We just didn't know how brave. Um, he used to like be a fireman and jump and help people like when they had a fire in the house or other stuff like that. Um, so we knew he was brave. We just didn't know how brave. And I didn't want this uh, to be the way we find out. But um, yeah, it's good to know at least that, you know, at least our son died doing Something memorable, yeah. Right, something memorable, saving other lives. He he lived the way he died, going all out, being a true hero, and protecting others. Yeah. And Naomi, you you spoke with you spoke with your son shortly before he was killed. Tell us about that phone call, if you can. It was actually my husband who had the last phone call with him, but he called us every weekend before the Sabbath. Um, because there's no phone communication uh, due to our religion. And every weekend he would call us just to say, I'm good, everything's okay. And he did it this weekend. In fact, he sent us also to our family WhatsApp group a beautiful picture of the sunset over Gaza. Look how pretty. This is what I'm defending. And it was just, that was his last picture, the same exact spot where he was killed at. He was so young. How, how did he see his future? What dreams did he share with you, either of you? When he was in high school, he took, uh, you know, you're supposed to pick one major. He picked three because he wanted to have all his options open. He learned, uh, he was, he learned law in high school and he learned uh, citizenship and he learned um, Arabic and he had plans. He was debating if he wanted to go into high tech, into finance. We always knew he would do something great. He was a really smart kid. Um, he could have taken three more subjects if he wanted to. 
Um, but yeah, he talked about all the different things he wanted to get married. He wanted to have children, wanted to save a lot, save up a lot of money for his future. Something he talked about a lot, work hard, save money. He was a hardworking kid also. Naomi and Shani Weiser, thank you so much. Uh, uh, may his memory be a blessing. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll be right back. The massacre in the Middle East, the Hamas terrorist attack, has touched our family here at The Lead. The cousin of a former lead producer was killed. That cousin was named Ellie Ginsberg. He was 42 years old. Ellie led an elite special forces unit. According to his family, he had just retired last month after serving 22 years. He was remobilized after Saturday's attack, his family said. Ellie's unit went into the kibbutz Re'im, that's the same kibbutz where Hamas killed scores of people, innocent people, at that music festival. Ellie went there to rescue hostages, and he too was killed by Hamas. Ellie leaves behind four young children. Ellie's cousin, Alexis Weiss, helped launch the lead with me and some of us still here back in 2013. Alexis... We're so sorry. We love you and we're thinking of you and your family. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.